Good to see you, Kumar. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think, uh, first of all, it's great to see all of you and um, to be on uh, a call like this. I, you know, Kumar and I have done this in person, so this is the first time we've kind of done this over Zoom, but um, I love how you started us out um, thinking about if we if we lost someone, the person that we lost, because I think um, I I really you know I lost I lost my mom as a teenager and um, and then I lost my um, late husband Sean four years ago, and a lot of the time um, my mom's death was more sudden. Um, it was by suicide. My um, late husband's death was by cancer, but it was very quick. Um, but I think about them at the end as some part of them really still hurt still sometimes. Um, and, I, and I love the idea of remembering them in their joy, my mom in the garden and my late husband um, at a barbecue. I think that just feels like makes me feel that was a really moving thing to do. Um, I, uh, I'm i not sure how much of my story you uh, want me to share, but I'll give maybe the, the cliff notes of it. Yeah, I mean, tell us about, you know, Sean, how fast he died and about your kids and what how old they were when that happened. Yeah, so um, Sean was a uh, very healthy 40 year old um, working here in DC. I'm in a government job. I was teaching high school. I still am. Um, and we had three very young children and we were just kind of doing the thing that all parents of young children do, which is just like making it through the day and changing diapers and feeding the kids macaroni and cheese and working at their jobs. And he started to have stomach aches and just not feel good. And we thought maybe he had some weird thing from traveling. And um, the day after Thanksgiving, he went in the hospital um, and, and briefly, and then they sent him home. I mean, we kind of just didn't know what it was. And he finally had too much pain and went to the ER and was diagnosed on December 1st, four years ago um, with stage four colon cancer. And he died January 9th, um, less than six weeks later um, with no family history and no nothing. And um, our children were eight, six and three at the time. And um, we, I moved into real crisis mode as did I think probably anyone who's lost a partner with, with young children or maybe at any age. Um, my father moved in with me. Um, he of course had been widowed 20 years prior but um, he moved in with me and helped me raise the kids and lived with me until the pandemic. Um, so about two and a half years. Um, that has all sorts of hilarious and non-hilarious stories <laughs> that go with it. Um, but it was, um, you know, it was just such a process. And I started writing um, as sort of a, a, a way to communicate with people and then kind of as a healing process. And that's how DC Widow was born. Um, and then writing for some other outlets. And, um, but I'm really a high school teacher at heart. And then um, right before the pandemic started, I, um, was starting to uh, talk to this guy that I knew really well because he was my best friend's brother, <laughs> as you do. And we fell in love, his name's Chris, and we um, got engaged um, a year ago tomorrow. I have lots of things that happened in early December, apparently, good, bad, all the things. And, um, and we got married two months ago and um, it, was wonderful and that is where I am and I'm sitting in a really interesting spot right now thinking about Sean and also um, just having had dinner with Chris and I think uh, a lot of people whether or not they get remarried or like whatever the thing is have another child or make new relationships in their lives I think a lot of people sit with both those things um, the happy and the sad together. Yeah I think there's you know one of if I if I sometimes when I'm doing a grief yeah here it is 
when I'm discussing grief, I kind of bring out a, a um, rubber band and mm -hmm. kind of say there's this tension with grief, mm -hmm. you know, where there's all, it's, it's always tension. You know, there's happiness, there's loss, there's, there's, there's discomfort. Uh, and then there's also um, a, tremendous, uh, a tremendous amount of feeling guilt. You know, like, you know, how, what, what am I doing if I'm moving forward in my relationship? And one of the things that I talk to my clients about is I never use the word moving on. You're never going to move on from grief. Okay. You're never going to just, it's not going to disappear. You know, one of the people, things that people always ask me is, when am I going to feel better? And my answer is, you're never going to feel the way that you once felt. You know, you're, you, you have just gone through one of the most traumatic experiences of your life. And so there is a tension of feeling, you know, loss, but then also the fact that you're happy. So um, I know I'm not interviewing you yet. That's coming up in a minute. But can you just talk about that tension that exists? Because, um, you know, this, this, this holiday season, some of the people on the screen are going to feel happy and they're going to laugh and for the first time in a long time. And there's going to be this feeling of like, mm -hmm. I'm not allowed to like feel that way. Yeah. I think that's really right. And, you know, I think, oh God, I was thinking about this just a couple of nights ago. So I, just the timeline of, of December for me is always like a little rough because, um, because Sean was diagnosed on December 1st, which in just like the oddest thing ever is the same day that Gingy, our magical Christmas elf shows up every year. Um, I know people have different traditions. Ours is that we have this like stuffed, it's stuffed. My kids are right outside the door elf which I would bring in to show you but you know what I'm talking about maybe um uh that shows up on December 1st and it was like this thing that I had to make sure that we like had coming and be joyful and the thing is like if you're three or seven as Tommy is now or my youngest like Gingy the magical Christmas elf is so joyful and there's nothing that can be taken away from that. And you feel joy watching, you know, for me, my first like bits of joy that I was able to feel really was through my children. I think people have different ways that they feel that through a hobby, through like the love of their friends. Um, mine was through my kids. Um, and, um, you know, being able, feeling so joyful, seeing him so joyful um, and the other two as well. Um, it, it can just can be really disconcerting. Like, and I was thinking about this because on December 1st, so what, like a couple of nights ago, I had the dream that I always have around this time of year. And, and I used to have a lot, which is um, that I, I relive when Sean died. And it's it's a thing that I, I don't want to keep having. I've gone through a lot of uh, almost a dozen therapists trying to find someone to help me like not keep reliving this moment and it's gotten a lot better so for anyone who's like oh god maybe i'm still gonna feel this way in four years like it did get a lot better and also like i had that dream again and then we like woke up and like the first thing was tommy running to our room like i wonder if Gingy's here and it's like it's just so jarring i think because you feel you're like oh that's so great and you're like oh god but i just had this like i'm like feeling both of these things at the same time. And I think you can feel really guilty that you don't feel sad about your loss even years on. And you can feel really guilty that you don't feel joyful enough. And so, so that's great, like guilt coming from both sides. Um, but I think it's, it's real. Yeah. So um, it's your time to ask me some questions, but before we do that, 
Um, I want to just give, if you feel comfortable, um, I want to just give you the participants an opportunity. I think one of the things that's really important um, in grief is to never lose the person's name that you love. And one of the things that's really awkward is that when you're grieving, people around you don't use the name of the person that was lost because they're afraid it's gonna be a trigger for you. Right. And sometimes what you want is for people to just tell you a really great story that you never heard about, about your loved one. And you're like, oh, that's awesome. Thanks for telling me that. But people are so, you know, walking in eggshells around you that they, uh, they care deeply about you, that they don't wanna hurt you. Um, and so you don't often get permission to like mention um, the name of your loved one. So I wanna just give you an opportunity to just write in the chat, um, if you feel comfortable, the name of your loved one and your relationship to them. Um, go ahead and do that right now. And then um, Marjorie, if you'll read a few of them, um, if they come through. Yeah, and I, I put my own in there too. Um, and I, I love this. Um, and I'll read a few of these. Um, oh my gosh, Adam, a very good friend from my past. Deb, my sister. Troy, my husband. Margo, my wife. My late husband, Brian. My husband, Mark. My husband, Satish. Pen Ken Boyoko, my dad. I also, my dad, Ken Boyoko. Help me, Kumar. How do you pronounce your uncle's name? Uh, Paulus. Paulus. Paulus, mm. um, your uncle, Leon, a husband, your husband, my 18-year-old son, Aaron, Tyler, husband, Angela, aunt, my husband, Mike, my husband, Matthew, my husband, Tristan, one of my best friends, Ben Donker, Alan, my dad, Michael, my husband, my niece, Raisa. Did I say that right, Alexander? Right, Isa. Right, Isa. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, close enough. Um, I think it's really, I think it's really important too to say people's names. Um, I know that um, it, it always felt really powerful for me when I could like tell the story. And I think so much, I think about my writing as I wanted to, because I just wanted to tell my story because I just wanted to talk about Sean so much. And like writing was a way I could do it to get people to engage with me in a certain way. And I mean, Kumar, you meet people at all points in time, but especially I think, I know in a lot of your work, when they're either about ready to be grieving or sort of pre-grieving, I'm not exactly sure the term, um, and also after they've lost someone. Um, and I'm sure that that's just really helpful to, to use someone's name. I hear, I see here my dad, Blake, my mom, Lois, and my sister, Amy, um, and someone who's- oh my God. Leanne is sitting here with her friend and she lost her dad, Richard. You're viewing the video together. Thanks for sharing that. Um, and I just think it's really powerful for, for people to be able to, to say the names or, or even just to write them. I know it meant a lot to me. Um, and I, I know, I wonder if there's other things other than, you know, I, we've talked a little bit about some of the work that you've done in grief groups um, and how you've sort of helped people through various exercises that they do, such as talking about people, et cetera. And I think, um, like from the perspective of a grief counselor, what are what are some things that you've used in particular around this time period? Yeah, especially in particular, what I'm gonna be sharing with you is 
in particular the next six weeks, you know, over the, over the holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's, it's very real to me because um, Saturday I got a phone call that my wife's uncle who's here in Baltimore was um, on his final uh, hours of, of death. And so I went and sat with the family for six hours and they thought he had another three or four weeks and I was looking at him and going, he probably has a couple hours and had to kind of break it to them to let them know that he's not gonna make it through the night. And he did make it through the night and then died the next day. And then we just buried him yesterday and I did the, the, the grave site, you know? So it's, it's, a, it's a really you know, awful experience to, to see people grieve like that. So um, there, there's four questions I wanna just kind of pose to you. Um, when you're thinking about grieving through the holidays and trying to survive through the holidays. Um, number one is, what's your plan? And, and I wanna say that because most of us don't really put together a plan for our personal life, okay? We, we're really great at creating vision and mission and goals and strategies at work. And we have, you know, point one and PowerPoint and all that stuff that, you know, what, what's our st- strategic plan for work? But there's really just kind of, we kind of just get through life for the most part, you know? And, and my point for that is that, you know, 90% of Americans don't have a will. So mm-hmm. that alone shows me people don't have a plan, okay? I mean, it's just, we think it's gonna kind of come. And so the first thing I wanna share with you is, you know, what is your plan for Christmas? You have to put a plan in place. Like, okay, I'm gonna be invited to, you know, five holiday parties. I can do two. Um, I need to make sure that I, I come up with an escape plan. You know, like um, you never know, especially if, if grief is very fresh, you don't know when you're going to burst into tears. You don't know when you're going to just kind of just lose it. And, and, you, and it's awkward for you and it's uncomfortable, it's embarrassing. And so, so what kind of escape plan can you come up with so people know uh, and you know that it's okay for you not to go to all the parties, for you to let people you know, be aware that, that you, you aren't feeling well, um, but come up with a plan. So um, you have people around you that are going to surround you to really know what the plan is for the holidays. Like everything that you did last year doesn't need to happen this year. Yeah. Uh, and, I wonder, and, Kumar, I wonder if you can elaborate a little bit. How do you tell people that? Yeah, yeah. So the number three, so I'll go to number three first, and that is how do you communicate the plan in advance? And, and that is you really have to be assertive and kind of share what you need from people. Um, I had a widow that I was, I was dealing with. She was 43 years old. She had three kids. And for the last 22 years, she had gone to Colorado with her in-laws every single Christmas with the kids. And she was like, and they just want to do it again. Like, it's like, you know, my husband's dead. He's not here with us, but oh, we'll, we'll, we'll support you. We'll love you. And she's like, I don't know how I'm going to handle this. I don't want to go skiing. I know my kids want to go, but I don't know how I can handle this. And one of the things that we put in place was she needed to communicate what her limits were and what she needed from the family. And the best way she needed to do it was write an email and just go, this is the elephant in the room. Um, guys, everyone, you guys are all looking at me. You're, you're pitying me. You're feeling bad for me. You, you, you love me. But here's what I need from you. And that is, I need you to give me a few hours every night to myself. I need you to know that if I disappear, like, don't come look for me. I, I'm fine. I can't find you. 
you know, like I just, I just need to be able to have some time alone. So some of it is really communicating um, what you need from your family and, and your friends. And let me assure you, you know, when you have a loved one that died, what the number one thing people say to you is, let me know if you need anything, anything. And, and do you know what? They really mean it. They really mean it. They will do anything. And so this is your opportunity to advocate for yourself and say, here's what I really need from you in order for me to get through the holidays. You know, I need you to allow me to say no. I need you to allow me to say a lot of maybes. Like, hey, would you come for us, our party? Maybe. And maybe means I may not be emotionally ready and you should be able to accept that this year. And that's, so that's what I mean by communicate. Number two is who's on you. Who's on your team? Um, I sometimes use the words, who's on your 911 list, but who's on your team? You need to have two or three people that can advocate for you, that can speak on your behalf, that you can kind of send like an SOS text, like you're at a party. And like, for example, I don't do this for grief, but my, my wife and I, um, I'm a super extrovert and my wife is like, not an extrovert, <laughs> okay? And so I can be at a party for like, six hours you know and she's like I'm done I'm like I cannot handle this so we have an agreement and that is either she says it or texts me the word danger and danger means like you have like two minutes to wrap up this conversation and get out of here right so in in the same way you may need to have an SOS friend that you can kind of take with that just knows they can kind of cover for you and get you out of a situation and kind of speak on behalf of, of you um Ask me what my fourth one is. What's your fourth one? Tell okay, me. good, good, good. Fourth one is, um, is how can you create new traditions? Um, and what I mean by that, and Marjorie, I know, I know this is really like personal for you, is that sometimes you have really great traditions and everyone expects you to do it. You know, like every year we go to Colorado, every year we put the, you know, the, put up the tree on, uh, you know, on the 21st or, you know, it, it, there's all these, every family has these weird traditions. Like um, every year dad, you know, cuts the turkey. Well, guess what, dad's not here. So what are we gonna do about that? And it's okay to create new traditions because it doesn't mean you're forgetting your loved one. What it means is you're recognizing that you have a new alternative or, or new reality without the loved one there. And so you need to create new traditions, especially if you have children, um, new traditions that hold on to some of the memories of their loved one, but also hold on to new memories without their loved one that gives them a, an opportunity to move forward in their life. Did you want to add something, Marjorie? Yeah, no, I think that this is a really important idea. And I think it's one that's really hard to do also yeah because I think when you're it's just so much easier to kind of autopilot to what you've always done and I think some keeping some of that around makes a lot of sense whatever your holiday traditions are um and I think some of it can be uh really really hard to kind of make it through and I think but I think trying to figure out okay yeah like maybe I don't need to do everything but like how do I know which thing I should be doing and which thing I should not do? And how do I know when I barely know how I'm going to feel at 9am when it's 8am? Like, how do we, how do we help kind of recognize like what traditions do I keep and, and what do I let go? Or, or, I mean, for me, it was just like a basic experimental process. Like I was like, I don't know, I guess I'll try this um, because they didn't have a lot of background and I didn't know 
um, what, what might work, but do you advise people like, you know, 25 people at a holiday party, like, and you're an introvert, maybe we think about that, or is it sort of on a case by case basis? It, it, this is what it comes down to. It, it comes down to how comfortable you are. And when you're grieving, you need to make decisions for yourself, not for decisions for the room. So, you know, there's 25 people in the holiday party and you're kind of like feeling like, well, I feel bad that I'm leaving. I just got here 30 minutes ago, but I can't handle this. Um, you have to do that because that's gonna affect your mental and emotional stability um, mm -hmm. over, over the coming days and weeks. So even though it's gonna hurt someone's feelings that you left, um, it's better off that you leave and call them the next day and explain what happened and they're gonna understand better than for you to try to kind of be a martyr and it really affects you and your entire your entire Christmas tradition. Mm -hmm. And I think I think there's a real pressure, especially if you're not a, an early griever, like in the first couple months, yeah. that you should be able to kind of pull it together. Um, and I and I just know that that's not often the case. Even people who've really gotten to a place where they're not actively grieving at all times, sometimes the holidays or any sort of like significant sort of time period in which the holidays often is that can bring that up, I think. Yeah, and I, just to speak on early, early grievers, you know, we all grieve differently. Some of us grieve like two years after the fact. Yeah. Um, so let me assure you, everyone grieves. It's gonna come out, okay? There, there's, a, there's a pocket for it, it's gonna come out. But um, I just had someone ask me like two days ago, they, they said, um, they said, I, I haven't grieved or cried in two years, you know, like why? And, and one of the reasons why is because their, their loved one um, had Alzheimer's and they died in their mind two years ago when they lost the ability to be their parent. And so, you know, sometimes when they don't die quickly or, or suddenly, um, you've had time to kind of work through that grief over, the, over that time period because they're not necessarily the person that you once knew. Um, so sometimes it does kind of come a little bit later after that. Yeah. So let me just recap the, my, my four questions. Um, number one, what's your, what's your plan? Number two, who's on your team? Um, number three, how are you going to communicate this advance? I think that's a huge one that you have to advocate for yourself. And then number four, how do you create new traditions and that you are allowed to create new traditions for your family and for yourself? Absolutely. I love those four. And I think they're really straightforward too. I think sometimes you, I especially like the idea of like thinking of all the things you might be asked to do and, and physically writing them out on a piece of paper and saying like, okay, but like, what can I handle of this? I know in the last four years, I've gotten a lot better about saying no about all sorts of things um, that I wouldn't have said no to before because I've figured out kind of the level of what I can handle, but that was a trial and error process too. Yeah. I think really listing them out is a really smart thing. I wonder if, um, I know that Tyler was maybe going to read out some questions. If we have any questions or comments, is there any questions, Tyler? Is it everyone just quiet? Everyone's pretty quiet right now. Nothing yet. Okay. okay. I mean, we are doing such a great job, Marjorie, that there is no questions to be asked. I mean, right? Like, nice. you're a teacher. Like, this is like amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I taught on Zoom for an entire year, so I, I did lots of like, I'm, I'll just wait while you want to put things in the chat. Yeah. Um, so, but I, okay. I mean, I think, listen, I think that thinking about grief and the holidays is a, like a really personal sort of topic. And sometimes I think um, we might not 
even know what our questions are. I mean, yeah. I feel like um, I, I feel like a lot of the questions that I started asking were not even within the first year or two of, of the deep grief that I felt um, for Sean and and certainly with my mom. I mean, I, I feel like I didn't even really grieve her for real until I lost my husband, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So let me, let me, um, I'm going to start asking you some questions if, that, if that's okay. And mm -hmm. then if people have questions um, for me or for Marjorie, just go ahead and put them in the chat and then mm -hmm. um, we'll, we'll come out, we'll come to that. So, so what, one of the things that um, I talk to a lot of my clients about is giving them you, using a couple of words, one is advocacy. So you got to advocate for yourself for what you need because um, people can't read your mind. So tell them what you need. You know, this is like the one time that you can actually pretty much get whatever you want because everyone like feels sad for you and they love you and they want to like make sure you're happy. So advocate for yourself. And then secondly, um, give yourself permission to do lots of things that maybe you feel you couldn't do before. So um, you know, for somebody who, you know, grieved your mom and especially who grieved Sean, what are some of the new things that you gave yourself permission to do um, as you've been grieving over the last four years? Yeah, I think this is, um, I, I, I really thought through this and I thought about like the, the different ways in which um, my grief has really changed. Um, Chris, my husband that I I'm just married. He's wonderful. And sometimes when we go on runs, we talk about um, like what I can write. He's great about helping me kind of brainstorm. And he was like, I think you should write like a stages of widowhood posts. Like yeah, like the first stage and like, what's your like theme music and how do you dress? And like, who's your, <laughs> what's your TV show that you're watching? And like, what are you? And I'm like, is that like making fun of it? Or is, it? but it's kind of true because there were such different stages that I went through. And I, I think that people go through different stages in grieving different people in their life different stages that they are um, in the world. Um, and so, uh, so I think it, it can really change as to what people need at different points in time. Um, but I know like the holidays were always really hard for me and just kind of continue to be. And I hate that because I love the holidays. I love Thanksgiving, but God, it was hard some years. And, you know, I, I always loved Christmas and I know for my widow friends that celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah, like it's just, you know, a season sort of of light and, um, and warmth, um, or it's supposed to be. And I think then it can all kind of come back to you and feel like really like, why am I not feeling happy? And for me, like one of the things that really struck me, and I know Kumar and I have talked about this, um, because I did continue to go to my church um, after Sean died, and I I wasn't totally sure if that was something that I would that I would want to keep doing, to be really honest. Um, but I kept going, and one of the things that I really loved was sort of this idea of of Advent, which was you know obviously my religious tradition. But I think there's there's a lot kind of of this time period, even if you don't come from a religious tradition or celebrate one, of the idea that yeah, there's like twinkle lights and joy and I don't even know craziness in every like store window, but also there's like this idea of kind of longing and darkness is also part of the time period and really kind of embracing that is okay. And it made me feel like, like it, like it was okay to kind of feel sad because it's, uh, it, it's all, um, wrapped up in this time period. This is like a time period of waiting and of darkness too, and not just about like jolly merry stuff. 
Um, I think I really saw that in holiday cards. I had a really hard time doing holiday cards my first year um, because I like went through the Shutterfly thing and clicked on it. It was like, oh, what fun and joy to the world. And like, I was like, oh my God, these are all so bad. And I, they're great, but not for me. And um, I told my dad who was living here at the time, I said, dad, I just like, what am I supposed to put on a holiday card? And he, he said, my dad was pretty funny. He like deadpan from the couch. He was like, how about you just write it's the holidays. Cause then it's like, not like it's always happy. It's just like an announcement. And I was like, I think people know that it's the holidays, dad. That's a ridiculous card. Um, and, but he wasn't wrong. Like, I think there's so much screaming at us that we're supposed to be joyful and be happy right now. And I think it can be really, um, it can be really discombobulating or something. There's probably a better word for that. Yeah. Um, I think you, you, when you and I were talking about that, you called it embrace the darkness. Yeah. Which I love because, you know, when we think about the holiday, we think about lights, right? And one, one of my pet peeves, and please don't be offended. Let me see how many people are on here because I'm going to see how many people like, like click off after I say this. But one of my, my pet peeves with funerals is like, it's like, there, it's, that's almost called like the celebration of life, you know? And I'm like, Great, yes, they had a great life, but there has to be a time of mourning and grief. There has to be darkness. Like you can't enter light until you go through the tunnel of darkness. And so sometimes, you know, we push people through the darkness. Like even corporate America, it's like, you know, oh, you know, I don't know if you've ever read an HR rules, but they're like, you know, you lost an uncle, two days. They, you know, you lost a grandma, one day. If you lost a spouse, four days. And then it's like, after those four days, they just expect you to be back and bounce back up. And that's not possible. So I think what Marjorie is saying is there is darkness and grief. And for some people, it's gonna last a very long time. And it's okay to do that because if you if you try to like skid out of the darkness, um, you're only gonna go back. It's gonna force you, your body's gonna force you back into that eventually. So, so work through the grief now. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, it, sometimes it, these holidays or any sort of anniversary for me, it's at the same time, unfortunately, because Sean's illness, I spent the entire holiday season of 2017 in the hospital. He came out a couple days after New Year's and then died. And, um, I, you know, that entire time period for me was just in the hospital and reliving it the next year was really, really hard. Um, and I think, you know, there, there was nothing that could necessarily be helpful, but I, I think the idea that I could embrace the darkness really made me feel better. I think also, you know, for me and everyone has like different things that they, that they have a hard time with during this time period. For me, honestly, I had to really embrace what you have said, just again, which is telling me what I need in a very specific way um, because I had very young children and and I was sort of managing them. My dad is great. Um, he's also in his 70s and um, and I needed help and I needed very specific help. And I think it's sometimes it's easier when you need a preschooler picked up from preschool because people, my friends were like, I have a preschooler too. I can pick up Marjorie's kid. And like, that's being helpful. And I needed something that was very specific. And I think now um, I'm helping a friend go through some really, really tough grief right now. Um, who doesn't have very young kids, but is still um, trying to kind of wrap his head around um, what it all means. And I think um, it can be harder to kind of say exactly what you need. But I think one of the things is 
everyone says in the beginning, like, what can I do for you? And I think you can kind of say, I don't know right now, but can I let you know, like later, if something comes up? And I think um, sometimes it's easier if you have like a point person. And I know you said like, who's your 911 call? Mine was called my support team. And it was just my two best friends, Becky and Michelle. I married Becky's brother, remember that? Um, and uh, it was just them. And I would text them and say like, oh, I just can't figure out how to like address all my holiday cards or I can't figure out how I'm gonna go to this party by myself. Can you find someone to go with me? Um, and I, I did that because it just made me like feel better. And also like one of the things that I really, you know, my, my sort of second big point, thinking about telling other people what you need. I think um, my last blog post uh, was entitled, but we've always had Christmas at grandma's. Um, and, you know, I think my kids in particular were really caught up in like, what was like the tradition? What was the thing that we did and what we had to keep doing it? And it was the same. And we always had the Christmas party and dad dressed up like Santa. But it's like, okay, but that's, I'm not going to dress up like, like, who's going to dress up like, should we call the neighbor? Like, you know, maybe we just have the Santa party and Santa doesn't come, but is that not going to work? Should we just maybe do something different? I don't know. And, you know, we sort of worked through that. Um, but I think, uh, I think really telling others what you need and, and kind of giving yourself a break to say, I really wish I could be at this thing, but I can't this year. Um, I think it's, it's really okay. Marjorie, can I speak on that for a moment, yeah. just on mm -hmm. telling people what you need? And this this is like so important to know. And that is, um, you know, put put together. You know, you know what a meal train is, right? Like, so just be like, everybody who asks you, "What can I do for you?" Just be like, "Can I put you on my like safe team text message?" And mm -hmm. I'm gonna put it out there and somebody can like respond when I need something, right? And, and, and that way you know and add like five, 10 people. Like, give me, let me give you an example. Um, <clears throat> tonight while I'm doing this um, webinar, um, my wife, like a week ago on Facebook, so, um, I live in Howard County, Maryland and they have a Facebook group called Howard County Eats, which is like just the best places to eat in, in, our, in our city. And, uh, and somebody on Facebook on Howard County Eats wrote, you know, I have a dying family member and I just don't have time to make food and, and healthy food. Like, do you all just know anybody who are, are restaurants that I can go to and that just help me? And like a whole group of people, including my wife tonight, like made a meal train for her. And, and we, that's something we don't even know. Mm -hmm. And just went and made meals and, and went and delivered it tonight. That's where she is right now, just delivering it to some stranger. Okay, so imagine just, a stranger is so desperate, they don't have like food or how to deal with it because they're at their wits end. Imagine how much your friends are willing to do for you. And, and one of the things I wanted to say, and Marjorie actually gave this to me. I don't know if you remember this, Marjorie, but like, let's say you have young kids in the home. Guess what? They can eat pizza four days a week for a couple of months. It's not going to kill them. Okay. Right. Like, you know, like, don't, don't like, just be like, oh, I have to be super parent and I need to make sure they get like the food pyramid. Like, I'm a pastor, so I can't say it, but screw the food pyramid, you know, like yeah. just do what you need to do to survive. This is survival mode and, and it's okay. And if you need stuff, text it to your friends and be like, Hey, I don't have the energy. I'm in bed right now to make dinner. Can someone like help me with that? And people will do it. Yeah. I think, you know, sort of, I, I'm, I'm thinking about that. And I'm also thinking about how I think 
I, I also want to say one more thing. My, my sort of last thing is, is a little bit of a pivot from that because I think so often, you know, I've felt real sadness around the holidays and I know so many of my widow friends, I have a, a really strong group of, of in-person widow friends that I, that I made um, right when we were first going through loss together and now are just my dear friends who I'm gonna like go do some ax throwing with in a couple of weeks. Um, they're like just like super fun people that I hang out with, but I know that we have all felt um, sadness around the holidays. And also like there've been times when we all feel joy too. And I know for me, when I've really felt joy and, and that can be really disconcerting to just like turn on your favorite, you know, holiday song or like light some candles or whatever the thing is and to just feel really joyful because something has happened that makes you feel really joyful and I think you know one of the most important things on that is like if you feel that joy just feel it it's okay it's exciting even um and I think there can be a lot of guilt I mean I think we've talked about this a lot I mean the one of the most read things on my blog is whenever I write about guilt um, I have so many people who write in and say the guilt, the guilt. I'm like, and I'm like, I get it. I mean, and I'm not totally sure because the, the other three presenters we have on here are actual mental health professionals. I, I'm just speaking from my own life experience and I'm sure they can go into this more, but um, that can be really tough. And also there can be so many like real moments of joy. And I'll just tell like one that I actually told all my students last week. Um, we were talking about people we were thankful for. And I, for some reason, started talking about the head of maintenance at my school. Um, and I'll just say his name because I don't think he'll mind and I don't think he's ever gonna watch this. His name is Kenny. Um, he's awesome. And he does all the things that maintenance people do, which are totally thankless. And the first year um, he came to Sean's funeral and the first year after loss every day when I would come in, I was a total wreck and I would pass by his office and he always hugged me and, um, and that just made me feel really okay. Like Kenny was like on my team. And in the winter, as it got cold um, that winter, he, um, when lost and found would have like little kid coats around because we were K through 12 school. He would save them for my kids and their sizes and be like, I was like, I can buy my kids coats. But it was like, because he wanted to do something nice for me. And uh, that, Christmas, right at the very end of um, the semester, I um, was telling him that I was just stressed out because I needed to go like buy all the Christmas presents. And, like I hadn't done anything. It was like three days before Christmas and I was just kind of overwhelmed. I was like, but I know I can do it. He was like, you can do it. Like you're doing a great job. Like, look at you coming to school. He was just like kind of my cheerleader. And, um, and I came home from school a couple of days later and um, my dad was like, oh, someone dropped something off for you. I don't know. I just like put it in the basement. It like looked like a Christmas thing. So like I went down there and I went downstairs later that night and there were like 20 presents downstairs, all with my kids' names on them and, um, and no, no card telling me anything other than enjoy. And um, so I put them under the tree and on Christmas morning, the kids unwrapped them and they were like, who are they from? And I was like, Santa. Like, I don't know. And I called all my friends and I was like, who did this? Like, and everyone, nobody knew. And I, it took me a while to figure it out. Um, and, and Kenny still won't admit to it. Um, but it was like such a moment of joy that he really saw that they didn't need more Legos. 
but like, like it was such a moment of feeling so loved and so joyful and so thankful. And so like, I, I was just the luckiest person ever to work at a school with a maintenance guy who would wrap all these presents for my kids. And I remember feeling such joy about that, that it was such a moment for me when I felt really loved. And, um, and I think it's okay to like, kind of be like, this was an amazing, joyful moment. Um, so I don't know. I was just thinking about that story feeling, um, like I wanted to share it. Thank you. That's awesome. That's awesome. There, there are people in our lives that will bring happiness and we can embrace that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a gift. You know, yeah. Wow. And I know, um, we have some other people here to speak as well. Um, in fact, um, we have uh, Dr. Jen Yoon, who's about ready to speak. And I know we have a, a, a sort of question or comment in the in the comment section, and I think we'll get to those maybe in a little bit. Um, but uh, I, I'd love to, to talk to Jen Yoon. She is a psychiatrist, and I had notes on her, and now I'm um, missing my notes, but I talked to her on the phone for a really long time to, to get this down. But she is a psychiatrist who's had done some really interesting work um, interesting is the wrong word, has done some really tough work over the last year and a half. Um, I, I, and I, I'd love for you to tell everyone more about, about the work that you've been doing as a doctor um, and as a human during the pandemic. Um, and I think uh, it can be really interesting um, to think about mental health and grief and, and the holidays, but maybe you can share a little bit more, Jen, about what, um, what you've been doing over the last year and a half or so. So can you guys hear me okay? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I guess for the past year and a half, about two years, I was definitely doing a role that I never expected to be doing. Um, so I was going into the ICU during the COVID pandemic, um, and my job was not to handle the patient side of things. You don't want a psychiatrist intubating people, but my job was to support the loved ones of our very sick patients. Um, so that the ICU doctors could focus on trying to save the patient's lives. Um, so, I mean, this was important because like most hospitals across the country, our hospital didn't allow any visitation, no one at bedside. Really the best we could do was kind of a fuzzy camera in the room. Um, so it really, you know, that disconnect from your loved one during this process was a unique challenge for um, that process of losing a loved one. Um, it, you know, like you were saying, yes, it called on my skills as a psychiatrist, but really there were a lot of moments where it just needed me to be a human being with the other person. Um, you know, just being able to share in so many families grieving processes and you know, sometimes it's the family member yelling at me and that was their way to cope in that moment or they're in denial about how sick their loved one was. And it's just that huge range of how people cope with acute grief. Um, and really, even if someone was yelling at me, I could never fault them or take it personally. Um, it was just me being able to see that raw emotion in real time and their reaction was their reaction. Um, so it was very different from what I expected to be doing, but it was very rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I know in our phone conversation, you told me um, really that, and, and I, I wrote this down, grief is a normal human response to loss. Um, that felt really powerful to me. And, and I love the, the idea. You also said that we need to show ourselves some grace to have unpredictable emotions. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, so 
I think, you know, as a psychiatrist, my job kind of boils down into me judging what's normal emotion and what's not. That kind of boils down to that question. And um, yes, you can have all these check boxes and, you know, we have our diagnostic books and things, but people just don't fit these neat boxes like the books say. Um, and every situation, every individual, every story is really different. So you really can't um, expect people to follow some strict uniform guideline of what, um, you know, normal in big air quotes, what normal grieving is. Mm -hmm. um, likewise, you know, it might be helpful if you're the one grieving to remember that, that, you know, to expect that it's going to be unpredictable, that grief is gonna have ups and downs, that's there by nature, that it just makes you human, not a machine to have raw emotions that you can't control. Um, to me, that's um, that falls in the, the spectrum of what's normal reaction to grief. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, um, I, I love this idea that like, we don't, we need to show ourselves some grace around that. I think it's, um, again, maybe, you know, one of these themes that I'm just sort of hearing as we, as we go through here, this idea of guilt or feeling bad or feeling this like sense of I'm not doing it right. Um, it, it, you know, is that something that you hear from patients? Absolutely. So I, I think there's enough going on right now. A lot of emotions, a lot of just trying to survive, which is how someone else put it, which I really like, um, that we don't necessarily have to be putting on extra guilt, extra just beating up on ourselves on top of it. We are already going through enough as it is. Um, something that always triggers kind of a red flag in me is if I hear someone use the word should or shouldn't a lot. Um, so, you know, it can be, um, you know, I'm still really blessed, so I should be happy or I, it's been a while and I have really good support. I shouldn't be lonely. When I hear the word should, that just triggers in my brain that there's a little bit more behind the statement. Um, you know, they, these should statements don't necessarily, you know, serve us. They often lead to guilt, um, on top of that conflicting emotion and, you kind of get on that train of what's wrong with me or is there something wrong with me and that certainly is not going to take us in a helpful direction um so generally i try to encourage when you start to catch yourself saying the should statements a lot um, instead of being judgmental you may want to try to be just a little bit more curious and gentle with yourself and ask okay well that emotion kind of came out of nowhere but instead of beating myself up let me just pause and say that happened, whether I like it or not, let me just try to probe into it and see where could that be coming from. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I like this idea of being curious with yourself um, and curious with your emotions um, that you have that might feel kind of out of whack, mm -hmm. either because you're grieving or because it's the holidays or because it's Tuesday. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I, I think that idea that how we might maybe treat a friend thinking about that with ourselves showing grace and, and some curiosity. Um, so I know um, you're a psychiatrist and um, there are a lot of other professionals, some of whom are on this call who work with people who are in crisis um, at, at one point or another. And I think there's a lot of um, different ways that people heal. Um, I know people who've healed through um, yoga classes or, or something that's even really maybe not traditional at all, um, some through faith traditions and others. 
Um, but at, at what point might you worry um, that, or maybe not worry is the wrong thing, but at what point might you think that someone would need to maybe see a psychiatrist? Yeah, so I just to put a plug in for psychiatry and mental health as a whole, I feel like um, a lot of people think that you have to be you know, meet a certain threshold or you have to be this way and that way to go see a psychiatrist. And I just want to encourage everyone, you know, you don't have to walk into a doctor's office with the diagnosis in hand. That's why we're there to discuss things with you to see what makes sense for you, what's normal, what's not for you. Um, so if you're just feeling like you're struggling and just want to have that conversation with someone else, I think that's a good reason enough to come and have an appointment. Um, and if you walk out of there without a prescription in hand and, you know, the conversation was, you know what, I'm managing things okay. It's not perfect, but it's okay. And here are the things I'm going to keep doing. And here are the things that are, you know, warning signs for me, for me to really look out for. Um, I think it could be helpful. And just like any other medical illness, you know, Mental illness also is much easier to treat if you're catching it earlier on rather than when you're really in that dark hole. Um, so that's kind of my, um, you know, earlier is better plug. But um, the people that I would say um, just really need to be vigilant about seeing a professional if you already have underlying mental health issues. Of course, a loss is going to be a big trigger for depression, anxiety, trauma, substance abuse. So those folks need to be even more vigilant. Um, the other piece, which I know I'm limited on time, but that sense of complicated grief or um, some people call it prolonged grief disorder, some people call it persistent complex bereavement disorder. So these are all just wordy names for the same phenomenon where, um, you know, when do we say we're crossing into something beyond normal, again, to use air quotes, grief. Um, I don't like to pigeonhole people into, again, these checkboxes, but typically what we're thinking about is if it goes beyond a year or so, and it's so persistent, unrelenting, really just more days than not that you're having these intense emotions, intense, you know, challenges to just day-to-day -day functioning, um, you know, that may start to kind of go into the realm of more of that complicated grief. Um, of course, if there is, um, a safety issue, um, you know, it's absolutely normal in acute grief to have these longing and thoughts of, I just want to join my loved one. And that doesn't mean you're suicidal. But if it gets to a point where you can't stop thinking about it, you're planning it, you're acting on it, of course, that would warrant a mental health professional. Yeah. I wonder if, you know, and I want to kind of, uh, we've gotten a couple questions uh, as you've been talking, and I think they're, um, uh, really uh, important ones and I'll, I'll just sort of maybe summarize some of them. Um, I think thinking about, um, uh, you know, we had one question in the chat that, that we can all see and then some other sort of private ones, this idea of like um, losing some, some, something of someone's that really helps anchor you. Um, I know I had a, a widow friend who lost a piece of jewelry that her late husband had given her, people who've lost photos, that they feel like, um, as this, the poster here puts, um, that they feel as though, you know, even more unmoored from the person. Um, or, you know, in a private chat question, we got a little bit about um, feeling really overwhelmed and sad and, and just maybe some tools about um, how to go about when you're feeling really unmoored um, or just really sad? 
Yeah, so I guess the kind of cliche psychiatry answer is that sadness as a emotion in itself is not dangerous. It's painful, it's gut-wrenching, but I think sometimes even just that fear of being sad, fear of having that breakdown can be even more overwhelming on top of that emotion. Um, so I think, you know, letting yourself kind of going back to that idea of having grace. So yes, you're going to have moments where you're sad, where you feel like a mess, where you feel like you can't go on. But knowing that in the end, sadness, even though it feels like it is not going to physically debilitate you to the point that um, you can't make it through. So I think you know, it's important to recognize it feels like a piece of you can't go on, but I think if you can take strength from the, um, the knowledge that I can survive this, this isn't going to destroy me. Um, I, I like to encourage my patients to remember that um, so that we're not starting to fear or be anxious about the sadness and emotion itself. I think that does not serve our, our purposes. Can I jump in for a minute, um, Marjorie? I have a joke with Dr. Yoon um, where, where I say, if I'm going to pay a copay to see you, I'm walking out with some medication. <laughs> so um, I, I want to put a, a big push on, on medication because um, what we're not talking, you know, when you think about grief and death, that's trauma. Okay? That's a form of, of, of deep, deep trauma. It's a wound. And when that happens, there's, you know, there's the, you know, there's, there's the dopamine changes, there's neurochemicals that change in your body and in, in your brain. And it's not necessarily saying, oh, you need drugs for the rest of your life. It's saying you're going through a very difficult patch. It's like you, you twisted your ankle, you're going to need something for the next six weeks. And in the same way, you know, to be honest and go to a doctor and say, um, what do I need to do? to get through this. And, it, and the answer could be medication, um, and, you know, PRN as needed, you know, you're feeling really, really low, you know, then you need to get something to get you through the day. Doctor, can you speak on that? Absolutely. I mean, I, I never want to be a pill pusher, which is what sometimes a lot of people feel about the mental health field. But absolutely, if you were to ask me, and I were to say, there is a tool here that we know is scientifically proven to help with some of these symptoms that you're having. We know they are effective. We know they can be safe for most people and it's there. Why wouldn't we at least give it a shot? And usually if you have a good relationship with your doctor, if it's not working for you, if you have a side effect, if it's just not the right next step for you, you should be comfortable kind of discussing that with your physician. Um, but in my eyes, if you're struggling enough to be sitting in front of me, you know, in my opinion, we should try something that could help. The worst thing we can experience is that maybe it's not the right fit or if you have a side effect, we'll stop it and we'll back off. So in my eyes, it's worth a shot if you are agreeable to it. Marjorie, can I, um, I, I have an answer to one of the other questions and then I want to move over to Alex, but I'm going to give an answer and then see if somebody else has another answer for that as well. Can I do that? Yeah, please. Um, so one of the questions is about the fact of losing something that is so meaningful for your, from your parent. Um, and the, the fact that you know, they lost pictures, they lost, you know, there, there used to be a sweater or, or a sweatshirt. Um, I, I think this is a really good 
opportunity for you to see a psychotherapist to work on creating a new narrative. So, you know, and what I mean by that is that you have something that's lost, but working through this with a psychotherapist, you can create something new that is for you and your parent that, that you can, that you can like develop along the way. And, um, that that's not going to happen in like one session, but you can, you what you are grieving. And I think what you said is right in the chat. You are double grieving because you lost your parent and then you lost the important parts of them, um, that remind you of them. But I, I think that's really where deep work comes in. So you can find a new narrative that's going to help you get through this, this difficult time. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, if Dr. Yoon wants to add to what I just said or not. Yeah, I, I mean, I think psychotherapy, you know, we go hand in hand always with the psychiatrist. Um, I think psychotherapy can be extremely helpful for some of those really rigid thinking that we get stuck on. So, you know, I should have done this better, or I should have told them this. When you get stuck in these really unhelpful and sometimes not based in reality thought processes, um, it's not as simple as, okay, well, I'm just going to stop thinking about it, or I'm just going to brush that off. You know, it gets more complicated than that. And to really change some of these cognitive um, stuck points, I think it does take evidence-based treatments like psychotherapy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, thank you for sharing that. And I think um, really thinking about the many different ways that we can use from like a, a, a short kind of list of here's my immediate plan of what I'm going to do to a, a much more comprehensive look at maybe I need to go and see um, a therapist or a psychiatrist sort of depending on the level at which of, of help that I need. I think it's just really important. So I really appreciate um, you sharing that. And I know um, that Kumar wants to also um, talk a bit more um, with um, our other guest who's here um, to talk a bit more about just another perspective on, on counseling and on grief and the holidays. Alex Raspberry with the coolest last name. Welcome. We are hey, glad. Hey bro, how's it going? Good. Alex is from Atlanta, Georgia, and he and I have worked together for years. Um, Alex, I know I'm kind of moving a little bit um, more kind of towards a little bit of kind of the spiritual part of things as well, you know, like things to kind of really think through. Um, mm -hmm. to tell us from, from your point of view, especially as a chaplain and bereavement counselor, you know, what are kind of like, I know you have, you have four takes that you want to help people get through the season. What's number one? Yeah, if you don't mind, I'd like to just kind of briefly introduce kind of some of my, I guess my basis point for thinking about these things, maybe like yeah. 45 seconds. Uh, when I was when I was young, about, I think I was right around 10 years of age, I was outside playing with some of my friends and um, I heard my dad, he called me in, you know, um, uh, we lived in this little apartment. And when I came inside the house, I've never heard a wail come from my, from, from my, my uh mother i've never heard her cry this hard and she was just hysterically jumping up and down in the hallways like banging the phone and couldn't really believe what she was hearing and i'm sitting there shocked as if you know waiting for somebody to explain to me what's happening my dad tells me to go pack your clothes we're leaving tonight and i'm asking what's happening and i just found out that my mom's dad my grandfather passed away he had a heart attack in the basement of his of his house and so i remembered that that day and then um um 
fast forward uh, years later, um, when I'm, um, I'm practically grown at this point, um, my dad's mom, he, uh, uh, she passes away. And while I'm there at the funeral, I'm watching my dad mourn his mother. And, and um, it hurt me to watch him mourn his own mom. And I, I, I don't know what happened at that point, but, but maybe I was teaching myself how to deal with this type of emotion or how to deal with death. And um, I can remember after my mom losing her dad, every year, December the 23rd, we'd get, we'd be, you know, in high spirits for the Christmas break and every moment she'd be vacuuming and she'd just break down and cry. Like it was clockwork. I could see it coming every December the 23rd because that was her father's birthday. And, um, and then, um, so one, one of the things that has really helped me cope in thinking about those stories is, is, is having visual conversations. And what I mean by that is it's been helpful for me to just visualize uh, my loved one, my dad in this case, and just have a quick conversation with him as if he's right there. It has helped me so much. You'll be surprised some of the, uh, some of the, the uh, internal response that, that your emotion would have to that. Um, and I, maybe it's just a quick question. How are you doing? I, I can remember his mannerisms. Uh, when he would be thinking about something, he'd do this little thing with his nose and breath. And, you know, some, to, for me to remember that and see that in the conversation as if I'm speaking to him as it has, has, has helped me to, to cope with that. Um, Alex? My, yes. Before you go to your next point, I wanted to just say I had a, I had an 85 year old widow. Um, she had been married um, to her wife for only, I think, 12 years. And mm. it was like the weirdest thing. I, I'd never heard of it before. But she says, like, anytime that she has a question um, that she wants her, her wife to give her an answer to, she goes to the computer opens up a Word document, and then just starts writing about what her spouse would say back to her. And she's like, I know wow. it's not my wife. I know it's not. I'm not trying to bring a medium. I'm not trying <laughs> to bring a spirit. I'm just trying to do something that I think would help me what she would say to me. Mm -hmm. And she said, sometimes she writes 10, 11 pages in, a, in one full sitting. Mm -hmm. And it's so helpful for her to kind of get into the mind of what her loved one would say to her. Absolutely. That goes to my second point, which I, I, I've kind of termed this is the school of reflection. Ask yourself, what are your loved ones teaching you now? You know, not to go biblical here, I'll refrain from that, but I just kind of wanted to point out something. Uh, and the scripture talks about there's a cloud of, wit of witnesses. These witnesses are the ones that have already passed on or who are watching us now. But what are they doing just watching? For me, it, 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 it's, it's helpful to understand that they are teaching you something now. You've, you've had this great journey with, with them before they passed. And, and when, you, when you find yourself getting uh, emotional, you find yourself getting sad, when you find yourself thinking about them, if you can just for that one quick moment before, be, before you, you, uh, you know, uh, grieve, and grieving is perfectly fine, but in that quick moment, just ask yourself the question, why am I having this memory for? What are they trying to teach me now? How, how, how are they teaching me to live without them now? Is there something that I that 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 they're perhaps trying to show me? Uh, uh, one of the one of the movies that kind of speaks to this. I'm a huge movie buff. Um, 
uh, was it the butterfly effect? Not the butterfly effect. Um, what was that one movie? He uh, lost his uh, he lost his wife, and uh, he kept had seeing these seeing these uh, seeing these signs. And uh, long story short, he ends up uh, going to this village way out in a remote uh, part of the world. And she had gone there on a uh, uh, photography trip, and uh, found out that she had actually had his child there. Um, so the the question is, what what are they trying to teach you all? What are they trying to teach teach us now? Um, my auntie, which is my wife's aunt, uh, uh, she had a daughter and a son. Um, she lost both of them six years apart at the same time, the last week of their high school year. And um, she's like, she was one of my, she, I, I consider her a uh, niece. Um, and there's so many times, every time I walk into my auntie's house, I'll see a picture of her there uh, with her boyfriend she was going to prom with. And I'll just give her a quick wink smile and think to myself what would you tell me now about me you always call me uncle alex and uncle al you know she looked up to me but you know what would you teach me now about about life so asking that question reflecting on that and, and, and um um you'll be surprised me kumar going back to your going back to your uh statement right before that second point kind of answers the question that was asked in the chat room about you know losing pictures or something that was you know precious to them um you'll be surprised in asking the question maybe you don't even open up a word doc but just speaking out loud saying hey i really wish you could help me to find this the stories i'm sure as a chaplain uh you know you and i have some crazy stories but the stories that you hear about people in in in, in doing that and some of the things that happen it's the mystery of life. It's the mystery of life, and uh, some things that were actually retrieved and found and brought back to them. Alex, um, Alex, I was just gonna say, you, to, for me tonight, that's like the most profound point for me because it's like, let let's say someone dies at forty years old. You know, the 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 way that we have kind of um, been told or taught in our culture is they're dead, they're gone, they have, they have no more contribution to our life. It's over. Mm -hmm. And what you're yeah. saying and you're reframing is um, they gave us 40 years of lessons to learn for the, mm -hmm. the next portion of our life, right? So they're not dead mm -hmm. and gone, that they, they are still contributing to who we are and the future decisions that we make. Um, in, Absolutely. In yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Pastor Mousman wrote one of his books that he wrote before he died. Um, he uh, he he wrote one of the richest places in the entire world is the graveyard. And he calls it one of the richest places in the in the entire world because there were so many so much uh, ideas that were never brought to pass so many inventions that were never brought to pass. But think about that on the flip side. Think about how much wisdom that person gave to us while they were here with us. Think about how much joy they gave to us while they were here with us. Think about how many words and knowledge they gave to us while we were here with us. Some of us, such as uh, Major, has been writing books and blogs. You know, how much wisdom have they given to us? And that kind of leads me to my third point: is a New Testament. I kind of think this a New Testament. What does life look look like now? This is very similar to what you talked a little bit about and create new traditions and here's the thing for me here's the catchphrase they passed the baton they passed the baton mm. they passed it was the baton <laughs> so 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 this is a new testament right so so what does life look like now you have a you have permission if you will to live a, a whole new life 
full of grace, full of joy, full of new mistakes, new ideas, things that you never dreamed of, right? And it's not that the, you don't have to feel guilty and thinking that um, you're doing this without them. Again, it's, it's about them saying yes to you. It's about, it's about them staying with you and teaching and, 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 and actually, you know, as I said earlier, not leaving you. And so what does life look like now? Um, um, and and going, kind of going back to my story and watching my dad mourn his mom, my dad passed eight years after that funeral. And so I, if you will, I'm looking at this gap here, right? You know, these eight years at that moment, I didn't know he had eight years left. But now sitting in the seat that I'm sitting in now, man, what, what could he have done differently in eight years? How much more of an impact on life could he have, could he, could he have made? It, as, as, as fragile as it is to say this, we're all going to the same place. Mm-hmm. But, here's, but here's the reality of it, though. In this New Testament that you have, after losing your lo- loved one, what are you going to do before you get there? Mm-hmm. You, have a, you have a new lease on life. Life is brand new. It looks difficult. It is difficult. There's things you're not going to get right, and that's okay. But you still have a responsibility, not to the person that passed away because they're not passed if you believe they're still with you, but you have responsibility to yourself to take those lessons that they taught you and put those into action and create a new life. And then last... I want to talk about is 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 name it because it matters name it because it matters you talked a little bit earlier about saying the person's name and that and never letting that name die and that's very important i really believe in leaving legacies um so one thing that i definitely want to touch on really fast you kind of open this up kumar about having a a plan and i will say in that plan please make sure that you all have life insurance that's, that's the first part of the legacy, right? And I, yes, I used to sell uh, life insurance. I don't have my license now, so I'm not trying to sell y'all anything. <laughs> but, 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 but please make sure that you purchase some life insurance because as some of us on this call know, it could be very difficult moving forward without it. So please do that. Secondly, you know, when I say name it, it matters. What type of a legacy are we gonna leave for them, put something in their name. It doesn't have to be anything big. And, you know, let's just say somebody's name is Paul, you know, Paul, um, Paul's uh, Thanksgiving memorial. Every every Thanksgiving, you know, um, in Paul's memory, you all are giving away, you know, 10, 15 turkeys to the first family. What can you all do to make sure that name stays alive? What can, what did, what did Paul enjoy doing that you can, that you can put his uh, name on? Or what did Susan enjoy doing that you can put her name on? That, that we can ensure that those names are alive every single moment. And it, that, that legacy reminds people what they live for and they pass that baton on to you and that you are doing some more creative things um, um, with that as well too. So those are the four points. I don't wanna go over time, but uh, be more than happy to uh, elaborate a little bit more if you get more questions. But uh, uh, those are my four points that I definitely want to, uh, to speak with you all tonight. Uh, Alex, I, I, the, the name it, it matters, you know, and I think the, the point is like, you may not donate 5,000 turkeys, but even if you're exactly. get 15 turkeys, right? Um, Absolutely. That, that you're doing it because you're doing it as a love expression for your loved one. And, mm-hmm. and we, we can make that happen. Right. So, so thank you so much. That's, 
That's really, really Absolutely. good. Can, can you all like listen to Alex all day long? I can. He's I just, I'm mesmerized. So um, <laughs> um, Tyler, uh, are there any other um, questions that have come in? Just had one. Oh, no, no. So there, there's just two things that, as we've been talking about, that I've kind of just thought about that I want to just um, kind of share, um, and, and then we'll have a closing together. Um, one is that um, we had 69 people register for this, and you know, like I register for every webinar, and I never show up to half of them, so I knew like we'd get like a third of them. So I'm happy that you're here. Um, but out of the 69, and as I'm just looking at the screen, you know, 90% of the participants were women. Um, and and uh, it just brings me to a, if you Google it, I think it's an Atlantic article, it's called How Men Grieve. Um, and I will add the ending to it, it's called Poorly. <laughs> okay, So um, men grieve just as much as women grieve. Um, they just, don't know that they can grieve. And so um, in, in, in bereavement circles, we have a joke. I, this is, I'm looking at the men and I think I know most of the men so they, they won't be offended by, Milton, do you love me? Perfect, okay. So there's a, there's a joke, there's a joke that we say behind your back and that is women grieve, men replace. Okay, so it's, um, and you know, you always hear that like, oh, a man was divorced. I mean, he was, you know, a widow for six months when he got married, you know, it's like, how come? And it, part of it is because, you know, men don't really know how to grieve. So I would really highly encourage you to, um, to if you know men who are grieving, to really encourage them to, 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 to pick up some information, attend a grief group, virtual grief group, because it's gonna make them a better person, better parent, um, better citizen. Um, the second thing I wanted to just mention, and I think it was the, the conversation that Dr. Yoon was, was having, um, that same 85-year-old woman, uh, one of my clients, um, I think she had a crush on me, but I mean, how can you not, right? So she, um, she once during group, she was so cute. She was like, I just read this study, and I've been looking for the study and I haven't found it, but she said, I've read this study that grieving people need to be hugged for 45 seconds. And I was like, okay, I, do you know how long 45 seconds is? Like when you were like actually hugging somebody. <laughs> so I was like, all right, let's do it, you know? And so, um, and then for like the next year, like as I ended my grief sessions, I would be like, okay, I'm hugging at the door. And uh, kind of everyone would come and we'd hug each other for 45 seconds. And um, I, I share that with you because human touch is so important. Um, human, we are, we are created to be touched and to touch, to love and to be loved. And whether it's your spouse or, or uncle or friend, there's something healing about physical touch and, 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 and hugging. And so I just really, really um, endorse and, and support that idea that, you know, you find somebody to hug and embrace and, and show them and love them because um, it'll make you feel better as well. Um, I'm trying to end this, but Tyler says there's another question. So go for it, Tyler. So we just had another question come in and they're asking, 
What if others are concerned that you are you aren't showing enough grief after the passing of my father? End of September. Yeah, I I can actually. I think this is an interesting one. Um, I think there is a real expectation about how people who are grieving looked and 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 act in uh, in a certain way. But I would say one of the most interesting things um, that I heard, and I heard this actually at, at something that Kumar and I did together. Um, it was the head of the Went Center said this to, to me, which was, I said, oh, you know, afterwards, everyone's like, oh, are your children in therapy? Like a week after my late husband had died. And I was like, I don't like, how do I find a therapist? Like, I, you know, and I did. And, and I talked to her later and I was like, you know, I got right in therapy and I tried to like do all the right things. And she said, you know, sometimes it takes a really, it's going to be a while before something like therapy can even really work. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do it right away if you want it, but there's a normal sort of grieving process. And, and, and Dr. Unit spoke about this as well. Like, like grief is a normal human response and there's no right way to do it, whether you're grieving too much or too little um, or right away or six months later, that, that often these patterns don't follow what, we, what they look like in movies. And, um, and I think, you know, a response to that is that, that grief is really individual and really different. And, um, and I think, you know, in here, there's been a lot here about like the way that we should be. I just, I loved, um, Jen, what you said there about like these, this should have feelings, but instead trying to replace it with curiosity and grace to yourself and maybe even to the people who are being overly concerned about you. Um, because I, because I do think that, that, um, that, that is something that we can struggle with as well. I don't know, Kumar, if you want to say something too. No, I, I agree. I think that, you know, grief is going to come out. Um, that, that's, that, it's just going to come out. It may come out in like in a big hose or it's going to come out dripping um, in, in different places. It's going to come out in, in poor behavior, um, you know, whether it's alcohol abuse or your anger, it's going to come out. Okay. Let me just, keep, let me just assure you of that. Um, but like I said, I think the other piece, Marjorie, that we have to also remember is that grief is also cultural. Mm -hmm. And so we all grieve differently based on our, our, our culture as well. And I don't like even mean just ethnic culture, but also just the parts of America that we live in. Um, you know, some people are stoic. Some people come from, you know, German roots and they're kind of hold it together and they, they take their grief out by, I don't know, cutting trees or whatever German people do, you know, like that's like, we all, we all do it differently. So, um, that that's something that you have to just be aware of, like that there is no rule book for grief and however you're doing grief is probably the right way that you should be doing, doing it and yeah. trusting yourself that way as well. Um, in the next couple of minutes as we have together, I just want to ask you if you would, if you wouldn't mind just putting in the chat, just one or two things that you're going to walk away with tonight. Um, you know, was there, there, was there a sentence, was there a word, was there an action plan that you think was helpful that you're going to um, walk away with? And then I want to kind of end us with just a benediction if I can.
So as you're finishing up, um, just a couple of housekeeping things I would just want to remind you of. Um, in about an hour, maybe 45 minutes, you're going to get an email from me with just some next steps. Um, and then next week, um, probably Sunday or Monday, you will get a recording of this um, link. Um, so you can share it with other people. Um, I did a interview with Dr. Yoon, um, a video interview about um, seasonal affect disorder that is going to be um, coming out on my podcast in January, but you get a sneak peek and get to watch the whole thing um, with, with her. And um, just want to just let you know that um, in January, I am doing a grief check-in. Um, I usually do like a six-week virtual grief group. Um, this time I'm just doing a grief check-in. So it gives you an opportunity to name your loved one, talk about your loved one, tell us about them, what you miss about them, what you need from them. And there'll be a link to that as well. If you want to join, it's free. And just want to give you an opportunity to, um, to, to know about that. So as we, um, as we say goodbye, I just want to just give you a blessing. Um, may you go in peace. May you find laughter and joy. May you experience love once again. And may your heart be renewed during the season. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye-bye. Thanks, Kumar. Thanks, everyone, for being here. We really appreciate it.